Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. Katrina, we have been doing this podcast for two years. I know. I'm in complete disbelief. (laughs) It's crazy. I remember when we started that I was like, we'll see how long this goes. I don't (laughs) even know. And when we did it for a year, I was like, wow, good for us. Good for us. We did it for a year. And now I'm like just in total disbelief that I'm like, You're like oh, it's been two years. And two now it's also years. like we're never going to stop. We can't stop. Even if no one listens to it anymore, like we won't stop doing it because we've already planned out so far and gotten so excited about so many episodes and topics. So I really hope you keep listening at home so that we can keep doing it and not feel as crazy about it. Yeah, please keep listening. <laughs> As we otherwise would. We're going to do it whether you listen or not. But, you know, it, it's better if you do listen. That's all I'm saying. We do appreciate that people listen. Yeah. And it's been really fun. In 2020, we kind of had an unofficial theme. But it wasn't for the whole year. But we had like a build up to Beauty and the Beast where we did multiple episodes about different kind of related stories. <laughs> and it just happened because you were like doing research about Beauty and the Beast, and then you kept finding more stuff, and you're like, okay, in order to really understand Beauty and the Beast, we have to cover all these other topics. So we like kind of like teased that along for a long time, so it yeah. became almost a year-long like theme. And then this year we have The Thousand and One Nights, which has been super great, just because I, I, I believe I said this in our very first Thousand and One Nights episode too, but I remember I had a, like this super old copy of Arabian Nights that I believe was probably my grandfather's. My grandfather was stationed in like Yemen in World War II, as a mechanic in the Royal Air Force, you know, living in like the Arabian Peninsula had all sorts of interest in, you know, like the Arab world and stuff like that. So I'm sure he brought back because this was like from, but even before then, but anyway, but it's like, I remember finding this and just being like so entranced by the stories that I'd like never heard of, you know, from the thousand and one nights. And it was such a small selection too. So it's like been really cool to learn more about it now as like a grown up and actually being able to understand what's going on. Yeah. And then again, like it's been cool watching how the year that we're having relates with like what topics we kind of like lean into. Cause it was super fun back in like February when there was like the Weller Man that was like on TikTok. Uh, yeah. Like the everyone sea was, shanties. Yeah. And so like everybody was suddenly like very into sea shanties and like wanting to know more about like the history of them and what was a true sea shanty versus like not being like a true sea shanty. And then I got to learn about mercenaries. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the thing that I'm enjoying like so much is like, as we're like weaving to like different topics and stuff to cover things that weren't necessarily on my radar to talk about, like sea shanties. We've been able to like, dive deep into kind of like parts of history and culture and folk groups that we didn't really know that much about. Cause like, I didn't know anything about, you know, sailors like as a folk group and them creating 
the art of like music and then studying the history of that. I was like learning about mercenaries <laughs> when we were learning about them getting money, like they could get more money from like swinging onto being the first to swing onto an enemy yeah. ship. They could get like an extra thousand dollars. And we were like, no wonder in movies, they're always like me first, me first, me first. <laughs> but then also like the green Knight when we saw like that, that movie was coming out and yeah. we're like, Oh, this might be interesting for us to like dive. That's what I was thinking of too. That. And we got to go into like Arthurian legend, which was, which was really cool, which is kind of something that I don't know if, I don't know about you, but like, I don't think about it that often. Like, you know, Arthurian legend as being like legend, folktale, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's not one of those things that like immediately comes to mind. So it might've been forever until we had talked about it. If we didn't have the green knight as like a way in. I yeah. feel like, I don't know, maybe. Oh, not. yeah. No, because, like, King Arthur was on my radar to talk about because he does pop up in other stories or, like, he influenced and led to other stories. Because I remember when we were talking about, like, Jack and the Beanstalk, and I talked about how the Jack and the Beanstalk story that we have isn't kind of the most famous Jack tale. Jack tales came when people were kind of, like, falling out of favor with, like not falling out of favor, but getting bored with like the Arthurian legends. And they started coming Mm -hmm. up with like this folk hero, Jack, who was like a giant slayer. And so when, when we did that episode, King Arthur was like in the background of that, but not like a main focus. And so it was like King Arthur, like exactly what you said, like he would have come up eventually. We would have moved into Arthurian legend, like eventually, but yeah, it wasn't on my list of stuff to do like this year. Which also is like RIP all the topics that were on my list to do this year <laughs> yeah, that then kept getting did. like bumped down the <laughs> the calendar. But we'll get to them. We'll get to them. We're working on it. Yeah, and that has been the really fun thing is like we've had so many great topics planned, but then things come up, and so we can push things. Like you, you know, you you know what I'm saying. Like it is sad yeah. that they get pushed down because we were excited to talk about them, but it's exciting that we have that like flexibility and nimbleness, and also. I feel like at the very beginning of the podcast, we kind of came preloaded with a bunch of things we wanted to talk about. And I do remember a time, it was a very short window of time, but I do remember a time where like, what are we going to talk about on the next episode? Like it was kind of like sort of a, not a worry even, but just kind of like we had to think about it. You had to think about it a little bit. Whereas (laughs) now it's like, we don't have to think about it again until (laughs) 2023. Only slight exaggeration. I even have, I even have like a, a kind of like a, backlog of ideas ones that aren't on the calendar because they're not like a fully like fleshed out like idea right and so like it's nice to have that (laughs) to just be like oh let's see what's up next and speaking of episodes that got pushed back this episode got pushed back that's true our two-year anniversary was like the first week in september (laughs) and now (laughs) it's like the first week in november and we're like Oh, here. (laughs) Like, it's our two-year anniversary when it's not. But this one got pushed back kind of for, like, an interesting reason that we'll talk about, like, later. But another thing I wanted to mention that we did this year was work with some, like, other podcasting groups. Like, our October episode that we partnered with Alluring to be on their Halloween specials list. And recently we did an interview with Folkwise. 
Yeah, that was awesome. We were on their um, Twitch stream. They do a Twitch live stream every Tuesday where they like start off by playing a game, a video game. And it's always like somehow related to folklore. Like the one that they were playing while we were on was called Wolf Among Us. And like the main character is the big bad wolf, but it's like a kind of like very film noir inspired. So he lives in like 1980s New York and he's like solving mysteries in kind of the, you know, the magical sort of a world. It's like so many characters, like Ichabod Crane is in it and like Snow White. The game is based off of like a graphic novel series called Fables. Yeah. I so I can get them from like through my like library app. That's and so cool. now I'm like, oh, now that's what I'm going to do yeah. with like my spare time. They're, so it's super fun. I'm like, they're very, very, I was going to say very graphic. Ha 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 joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like. Besides it is just that being film, drawn it is and that, illustrated. Yeah. Because uh, it is that like film noir like style. But yeah, they played that game. Folkwise was playing that game for the first hour that we were on the show. And we kind of did some like light commentary in the background. I say <laughs> light, light commentary. commentary. I, I probably like, talked the whole time. <laughs> Looking back, I was like, man, we, we came on this show and like just made it our show for the first like hour. <laughs> I was like, I talked way too much. I feel bad, but it yeah. was so much fun. Dom and Daisy were amazing. Those were are the great. hosts of the Folkwise stream. They're yeah. incredible. Just, and like, so kind. Yeah. So like, yeah, just welcoming. Dom has like a doctorate in folklore. Yeah. And I believe that Daisy is a PhD candidate also in folklore studies. So very, very like smart people. This is like totally their wheelhouse. And they were so welcoming to like let us non-scholars come and talk. And I think they're amazing. Yeah. And so you all should go check out, if nothing else, the Twitch stream that we were on. There's a YouTube video of it that they posted. And they interviewed us and it was a super fun interview. We even did like a tier list at the end. Katrina had to do a tier list uh, of Pocky flavors because of some beef that started even before the Twitch stream with yeah. Dom on social media. So you'll have to check it out to find out what that's all about. But so you can find them at uh, twitch.tv slash folkwise or their website. They're they're active all over the internet. They've got yeah. There's more than like so Dom and Daisy do the that Twitch show, but there's so much more. Like they have Instagram, they have all these other things. There's a bunch of people involved, a bunch of folklorists, which is uh, really, really cool. So you can go to wisefolk.org. That's their website that kind of like groups them all. So if you want to make us very happy and the people at Folkwise happy, tune into their live streams on Twitch and join in the chat and tell them that the fairy tellers sent you. I would love for like their whole chat to blow up with people being like, hey, we're here to see the, the stream the fairy tellers sent us. And that would mean a lot to them as well, I'm sure. They love interacting with people on their their Twitch stream in the chat while they're going. And if you don't have time to the Twitch stream or it's not on in an hour that you are like awake in your time zone or whatever, they have a YouTube channel. If you look them up, it's Folkwise, one word. And they post kind of highlights of the gameplay and then also the interviews that they end up doing with a wide variety of like folklore scholars or folklore enthusiasts. Oh, and you know something really crazy that made me feel super good and special and happy 
that I saw on their YouTube channel. They were recently at the conference for the American Folklore Society, and they were giving you know a presentation. It was done virtually, and in the presentation. They talked about collaborating with lots of different academic folklorists across the United States through social media, through all this stuff. And then they were talking about other folklore enthusiasts that you might want to know and that they have connected with and work with. And they mentioned the Fairy Tellers podcast and their hosts, Katrina and Jeff, by name at this like academic conference about folklore. And I was like, man, that feels super cool. That felt that felt super good. Yeah. So it's like. It was like, oh, man, you guys don't have to say nice things about us, but you're saying nice things anyway. That feels yeah. extra good. Yeah, you did. we didn't even know that they had done that. They didn't tell us that they did. So we. I found that on my own. Yeah, because you were watching their presentation on YouTube. Because I was watching their presentation. It was really interesting. Yeah, so anyway, can't, can't say enough good things about the people over at Folkwise. And just all the other people we've gotten involved with, too, like – We've had lots of people reach out, things happening behind the scenes of other people doing similar podcasts or projects related to folklore that, you know, might want to collaborate with us in the future. It's just been really cool to like feel this like community and be a part of this like larger fairy tale and folklore community on the internet. It's nice how the internet helps you to like find your people. Especially coming out of a time where we were like very disconnected from the world. To be like connected in more ways feels nice. It does. On that note, let's talk about folklore ways that we're all connected around the world. Oh, brilliant segue. That was smooth. That was super smooth. Um, So our first episode that we ever did was the basic Cinderella story. And we were presenting this idea that there is no original version to tales. So with fairy tales, there is this current idea that kind of exists in the common knowledge sphere that Disney versions aren't originals and that originals are so much more like gruesome and sinister. So in that first episode, we wanted to kind of take a super well-known fairy tale, Cinderella, And show that even if you think the Grimm Brothers version was like the original and Disney cleaned it up for kids, we just wanted to like dispel (laughs) that and be like, nope, that is not true. Get that out of your mind. That is not the case. Disney used Charles Perrault's uh, older version to make their movie, but there also exists older versions from Jean-Baptiste de Basile that were pretty violent. And unique in how Cinderella cat <laughs> does a murder. And don't worry, it's not a it's not a real cat. That would be an even more incredible story. Yeah, uh, that was like the nickname for Zazola. Like in that story, uh, uh-huh. they called her their little Cinderella cat. And yeah, she does a murder. <laughs> and then we also read. So we did retell the Grimm's brothers version. Right. Yeah, I, I just wanted to point out too, like Jean-Baptiste Basile is like the Quentin Tarantino of folklore archivists or whatever. Like, yeah. He got, he likes to get into the real juicy, gritty, gory. Oh yeah. And like his his stories 100% they were not for children. They were for entertaining people at court. And so yeah, his versions usually are very dark. And his versions are usually the ones where people are like, did you know that in the original Italian version that blah 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 blah. And it's like, okay, First of all, not an original. 
And second, it's only disgusting because it was Jean Battista Basile. It's not because like all Italians liked violence. I mean, were you were you about to argue? You're. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're like there's some pretty spicy people. I'm just gonna prove it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> prove it. Oh. So last year we did for our like first anniversary episode, it was titled Asian Cinderella Stories. And that's like a total misnomer. We definitely called it Asian Cinderella Stories so that people would kind of have an idea of what the episode was going to be about for the episode. And also clickbait, baby. Yeah, I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. It's for search engine optimization. I'm so Got to have that name recognition in there. But it's not completely off base no, either. No, it's not. And inside of that episode, what we talked about was how they're not called Cinderella stories by scholars. They have an ATU number, an R and Thompson Uther index number. And the ATU number for that for Cinderella tales is 510 or 510A. So in that episode, we talked about the things that make an ATU 510 story a 510 story. So in an essay by Heidi Ann Heiner called Searching for Cinderella, she says, the Cinderella cycle, as it was termed by Anna Brigitta Ruth, or the family of Cinderella tales, to oversimplify the term, is surprisingly diverse and at first glance appears to be a hodgepodge of tales, only barely related. But when the collection is viewed in its entirety, the tales reveal similar plots, themes, and events that demonstrate their unity under the Cinderella label. So, in last year's episode, we talked about like what those five things were. Persecuted heroine, usually by the family, particularly female family members. There are stories that are ATU 510B, but they are persecuted by male family members. So the second thing is help or helpers, usually by magic. The third thing is meeting the prince or other person of like wealth, usually with their true identity disguised. The the heroine's identity disguise, not the prince. They usually know that, like, that that's the prince. So the fourth thing is identification or penetration of disguise, usually by means of an object, i.e. the shoe. And then the fifth thing is the marriage to a prince. In the Asian Cinderella tale-like episode, I retold the very short story that some considered to be the oldest Cinderella tale, that's arguably from Greece or Egypt. And we talked about how the only parts of that tale that were Cinderella tale types were basically identification by means of an object and then marrying a rich man. Cause all that happened was like a bird stole a woman's shoe and then the shoe got dropped on like the Pharaoh's lap and then he found the woman. Um, so yeah, it was missing like most of the main parts of that tale. So then in the episode, we went on to talk about a story in China that dates back to the 800s AD that is a lot closer to having all of those elements. So now that I've got everybody all caught up and like the last 
couple Cinderella-based episodes that we've done. Uh, this episode, we're going to do Middle Eastern tail type 510. <laughs> That's me trying not to say Middle Eastern Cinderella tales. But yeah, Middle but Eastern. But don't be confused by the fact that the title says Middle Eastern Cinderella stories. <laughs> because it 100% will on this episode, and that is for SEO purposes. And you know better now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're going to be looking at Middle Eastern tale type 510 stories. And we're also going to then be talking a little bit about an interesting situation in the 20th century with Cinderella tale types from around the world and how they ended up being published in the English speaking world. So this will all come full circle. I'm excited. I know I'm sufficiently teased. Let's get get into it. In the episode from last year, I teased that I had come across a story from the Thousand and One Nights that included this tail type. But instead of a shoe coming off of a woman's foot, it was an anklet. And the story was popularly known as the anklet. I was super excited to share that story for our Thousand and One Nights series, obviously. And then as I was doing my research, I found out something that totally bummed me out oh no this story wasn't from the thousand and one nights which is why this episode is in (sighs) november (sighs) instead of september because this was going to be our september episode to celebrate our two years of like podcasting with a thousand and one nights and cinderella tale and it was going to be awesome but as i was researching Back in like August to get ready for the episode, I discovered that the story of the anklet is not from the Thousand One Nights. Of freaking course. <laughs> so in the Arabian Nights Encyclopedia, Volume One, under the entry The Anklet, it says this story is included in the narrative cycle called Charming Tales of Careless Youth. This tale does not feature in any of the known Arabic manuscripts of the Arabian Nights. According to Chauvin, Mardrus had appropriated the tale from Jacob Artin Pacha's Conte Populaire de la Vallée de Nil, which is Popular Tales of the Nile Valley. So that was the entry from the Arabian Nights Encyclopedia, Volume 1. So every time I would find this story, they would direct me back to this one edition of The Thousand and One Nights by J.C. Mardrus, who published his French version in 1898 to 1904. And then the authors who had republished his story of the anklet in English, where I was seeing it, they would do this thing that I can't decide whether it was shady or not, (laughs) like whether it was like purposefully shady Uh. or whether it was like accidentally. It seems shady to me. So they would write this version can be found in the thousand and one nights by JC Mardrus. The thousand and one nights are a collection of stories that go back to the ninth century, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, yes, the thousand and one nights do go back to the ninth century, but this story doesn't. (laughs) So anyway, as I was looking like for the anklet to figure out where like it belonged in like the whole canon of things, it was this 
situation where I would find a version of the story that had gotten added to a collection of the Thousand One Nights tales. Uh-huh. And then they would all, if they had a like bibliography, they would point back to this one French version of the Thousand One Nights that was published in like 1904. But that guy, it appears, got his... Yeah, you're like, 1904, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, you're right, it wasn't that long ago. Because... Like that whole collection was then taken by some uh, uh, authors from England who translated it into English and then were like putting it out as the Thousand and One Nights. So like, it's just like, it's all a mess yeah. because of how often that happens where a story gets added into the collection of Thousand One Nights, and then people are like, oh, it's from the Thousand One Nights. It's like, in that, it has appeared in a collection titled The Thousand One right. Nights, but it's not. <laughs> it's but not, not the collection. Yeah, not, not <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, not any, like, not any Arabic manuscript. Yeah, oh, man. Because it looks like this guy got his tale from the, like, Comte Populaire de la Vallée de Nil which is like stories that were popular in the Nile Valley, which especially frustrates me because this story, the diamond anklet or the anklet gets labeled as a Persian Cinderella story when it's actually an Egyptian Uh, Cinderella story. Because as we all know, the Nile Valley is not Persia. Correct. So I'm going to have Jeff retell an English translation of the story, The Magic Jar, from Egypt. It is from the collection of tales, Con Populaire de la Vallée de Nil. All right. So, three sisters lived together. In order to support themselves, these three sisters spun flax. So the younger sister was the best at spinning flax. She spun more flax than the other two sisters put together. And so sometimes she used some of that money to buy something for herself, something nice. So one day, while she was out with her extra cash that she was supposed to be splitting with her other sisters, I don't know what's going on, she came back with an old alabaster jar. So alabaster is a stone, a rock. It's like pretty soft and often used for carving because it's soft. And apparently, I guess they also like process it to make plaster powder. It makes sense. And when her sister saw this alabaster jar, they were a little bit pissed because they were like, why would you spend so much of this money that some of it should be ours on this ridiculous, extravagant thing? But what these sisters didn't know was that this jar was magic. And she didn't, like, want to tell the sisters this, apparently. They didn't know. But the cool thing about the jar was it was better than having money because anything that she needed, she could just reach her hand into the jar and, like, pull it out. She's like, need some food? I'm hungry. A nice, you know, Scooby-Doo-sized giant submarine sandwich that you can eat in one bite was inside of it. I'm just, like, imagining them pulling on it. It just, like, keeps coming out and out and out. And and yet they still eat it just, like, in one bite. If she wanted some clothes, reach in, pull out the clothes. She wanted anything else. Boom. She could reach into it. There's nothing the jar couldn't do. So she was kind of afraid her sisters were going to be jealous. So she 
tried really hard to just like kind of live within the means didn't do anything that would be like attracting their attention to it like she didn't come out one day with like an apple watch like on her wrist and like you know (laughs) some nice ray-bans or something you know she's like just very she kept the powers under wraps kind of minimal but when she was alone she would reward herself with a little treat so one day there was going to be this really big festival at the palace and all three sisters were invited because they were apparently ladies of stature and they were very presentable, even though they were poor. They're like, even though you're poor, we'll still invite you to our party. So the two older sisters got dressed in their best clothes and they're like, peace out, younger sister, we hate you, bye. And they left the younger sister behind. And once they were gone, the third sister, the youngest sister is like, okay, this is cool. It's fine. I'm going to wear way better clothes than they do. Reaches into the alabaster jar, pulls out a dress that's green, red, and white, sparkling jewels, and then just everything else, all the accessories she needed to look good at a festival. And so dressed up in this green, red, and white dress, looking like the Italian flag and sparkling jewels, she walks on in to the festival and everybody's looking at her like, dang, this girl looks good. Like, did you see that Italian flag wearing woman walk in? She looks amazing. Had the whole festival looking at her. She hit the floor. Next thing you know. Shorty got low, 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 low. That's Clarice's alarm clock song. Fun fact. <laughs> so she's there partying. And when the evening was coming to a close, she's like just straight up runs away. <laughs> it's funny because like in this story, there's no reason why she had to run. There's kind of like a time pressure, like in the other ones, like, oh, like at midnight, like all the magic wears off or whatever. But in this one, she's just like, oh, no, it's late. Bye. And she runs away. But in her. She just likes a marathon. Yeah. In her. uh, Maybe, maybe I can see like she might have had to try to get home before her sisters so that they didn't know that she was gone. They didn't know she was at the party because they said that even her sisters didn't recognize her because of how beautiful she looked in this stuff. But anyway, in the haste, she dropped one of her bracelets in the watering trough where the horses of the king drank. And so the next morning, the horses go to like drink from the trough, but they get super freaked out. And they're like, whoa, hold up. There's something crazy about this. We're not drinking out of there. And so the like grooms of the horses are coming up and they're like, uh, what is going on? Why are these horses so freaked out? And they're like, ah, oh, here it is. There's this amazing diamond bracelet in here. They were frightened with, by its brilliance. Like a paraphrase quote from the text was like, that's how shiny this thing was. And it scared the crap out of these horses. And the king's son, who happened to be along, was like, dang, this is a nice bracelet. Father, I want to marry the young woman that owns this bracelet. (laughs) She must be loaded. (laughs) He didn't say that, but he was thinking it. What's weird is like usually there's that like implication that they're like, oh, if this beautiful, like if this object is beautiful, the woman who is wearing it must be beautiful. Which I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. And in this one, they're like, Let, we're not even going to pretend that it makes any sense. We're just going to say that he he's like, you know what? On a whim, I want to marry whoever owns this bracelet. And so messengers were sent throughout the city to look for the owner of the bracelet. Two weeks of searching, not finding anyone. They finally arrive at the home of the three sisters. And each of them tried the bracelet on their wrist. Didn't fit any of them except for the youngest sister on whom it was a perfect fit. And I've got thoughts about that that I'm going to wait until the end to share. So (laughs) it fits perfectly. The marriage is announced. So on the last day before the marriage, after the girl had taken her bath, her sisters offered to fix her hair. 
So they start doing her hair and they're putting into her hair these large plume-shaped pins. So these like feathery-shaped pins. And once this magical hairstyle was completed, yeah, that's right, it's magic, the last pin pressed into her head, poof, the girl turns into a dove with a little tuft on her head. (laughs) And she flies out the window. And so every single day, she came to rest on the king's kitchen window and was like cooing, quote unquote, sadly. (laughs) Poor little dove. And the king was like, hey, capture that bird alive. Don't kill it. And one day they finally managed to catch it. And then a magician who was at the court to treat the young prince who was dying of, quote, consumption and love, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he was just dying of consumption there, buddy. Nope. Relatable. He recognized that tuft as like a talisman that was on the dove. And so he carefully removed all the pins. And when the last pin was gone, poof, the little dove turned back into the girl, and the prince was so grateful, he recognized his bride, was immediately cured, so it looks like he was dying of love after all. And he and the girl were married, lived happily and content ever since. And, as a little coda, the princess forgave her sisters for turning her into a dove, and she provided each of them with a dowry and a husband. The end. That she's so much nicer than a lot of other like Cinderella's that we have like met. Yeah. Interesting things that I thought about this was like, again, birds being kind of like an important part to the ending because they were like those birds that were important in the Grimm's fairy tales one that ended yeah. up pecking out the eyes of the mean stepsisters. So I thought it was interesting, but it's like she gets turned into a bird. The, the anklet slash bracelet, this was a bracelet, it was on her wrist. Like, because they talk specifically, it says specifically that they put it on the wrist. Which I'm like, how does a bracelet have, like, a perfect fit to only one person's wrist? I mean, like, a shoes are also kind of that same way. It's like, like, lots of people could probably fit in the same shoes. But I feel like a bracelet even more, it's like, it's going to fit a lot of people pretty darn well. Like, how do you know that that's the one? Anyway. Yeah, so people have had similar problems, like you said, like with, like, the shoes. Yeah. And so then in some stories, they have it where to like kind of stop that debate. It's like the shoe is magical. It like changes size. Based on who it's going to be on. Or they say that then like the Cinderella character like produces the pair. Right. Like it, it produces the match. Not only does it fit, but I have the other one. Exactly. That they're like, and as even more proof, here's the other one of like whatever the thing that goes missing is. No, but it especially is like interesting with a bracelet or even an anklet because it's like for those things to slip off, to fall off, like not break off, but slip off. That implies that they're your like not fitting. Yeah, that it's loose enough to fall off on accident. Yeah. And so it's like. Was this person like so slender, so petite that it couldn't slip onto like anybody's wrist except hers? Yeah. Like her wrist was so petite that it could even just accidentally slip off of like her wrist. That's kind of like what it makes you think. I mean, there's there's probably lots of different styles of like what a bracelet is and like how it latches together or doesn't latch together. It's just like has a gap in it or I don't know. I don't know what bracelets were like in Egypt back in the day. So who am I to judge? 
It's true. Going back to kind of what going back to what makes this the tail type that it is, which I can't remember the ATU number. 510A. Yeah, you got it. I do remember it. Wow. Um, you know, like persecuted heroin. I feel like this is a little light on the persecution at first, you know, it's like I mean, in this, this does seem like a very short version. And like you said, this is just a version from one English translation. But it was like, they didn't really persecute her. She was kind of like a little sneaky and was like, I'm better than you. I spin flax so much better. Like, I'm going to keep some of the money and buy nice things for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, that's, that's like, that's why her sisters don't like her. It's not like, oh, you're so kind to everyone. So we're going to be mean and make you do everything. Like in other versions, it's like, yeah, they kind of have a reason to be a little bitter towards her, in my opinion. Yeah, that you're like, she doesn't act strictly, like, as kind or benevolent as, like, we're kind of used to encountering. And they're also not that mean to her either. Yeah. Which, again, but but it is an interesting thing that they're, like, they're also not necessarily nice to her. Yeah. And it's just interesting that that same, like, the fact that they're two sisters and they both don't like this other sister. Like, the fact that that's, like, a thing that happens all over the world in all these different versions is really interesting because it's so kind of specific. Yeah. And repeated over and over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, like, there are a lot of essays that are written, like, on feminist theory about why this tale would be, like, so prevalent in, like, so many different countries, like, why it would resonate. And a lot of it comes back to, like, the power dynamic of that, like, women are always in a disadvantaged position Uh when it comes to like power that they don't have any power unless they're married. Therefore everybody that they know, even their siblings are in competition with them for power to to, to marry somebody. Yeah. And so in countries all over the world throughout so much of world history, women are, put in a disadvantaged position and then they see each other as competition. And so the story, yeah, very relatable where it's like just the fact that their sister exists and is younger than them. And is if, if she's more beautiful, if she spins flax better, yeah, yeah, more skilled that if she gets married before them, that would be like really, really bad for them. And so it is interesting that it's like, the persecution wasn't that well defined, but yeah. it, it's like this understanding that like, even if the girls didn't do anything to her, they still are all in competition with each other. Right. It's interesting too, that you say that not about this story necessarily, but in other ones where they talk about how the stepsisters are like, they are full blooded sisters to one another. Mm-hmm. And she is, you know, Cinderella is a younger sister of someone that like their mother had married later. Like, so Cinderella being the relative of like the man of the family, like directly, that kind of puts her in like a quote unquote better position theoretically. Cause if their dad had any kind of like say or power, he could get a good match for them to marry. And he's most likely to put forth his biological daughter. Yeah. Over like this step daughters so that would make uh, also make sense why they would yeah. like immediately be like okay like we don't like this yeah person not to mention if their mother was to die their dad could just be like they're not mine you know what i mean like the the stepsisters right 
Uh, he could just like kick him out, kick him to the curb. Yeah. Cause wow. like there's, there's a lot that happens uh, with like, like complicated family dynamics, like throughout history of if a mother dies and the dad doesn't immediately have a prospect for her, like who's going to be at home taking care of this child. They sometimes just have to find a relative to like unload like a child onto. Right. And so, yeah, it's like in a situation where he has this daughter, then he gets married to another woman. Like these are people who have theoretically experienced that sudden drop of power of their mom was married to somebody. What happened to that guy? Probably he died all of a sudden. And now what they have experienced off camera outside of the story is they have gone down and stationed. Their mom is in a desperate situation. They realize how desperate their situation is. Right. They're finally able to be taken care of once their mom gets married to somebody. And they know what would happen to them, exactly what would happen to them right. if now their mother, yeah, because they've been through it before, if their mother were to die or even if like the father was to die. And so it does like it puts them in this really awkward position where they they do feel this like stress of like, OK, I need to find a good marriage match so that I'm not dependent on how well my mother's marriage match is. Uh-huh. But now the man who's kind of in charge of making those marriage matches happen cares more about this other kid than he does about me. Yeah. And it, yeah, like, so it's like these stories, there's so much that is unsaid about that power dynamic. Because it wouldn't need to be said because people would understand back in the day. Whereas like, I'm clueless Yeah. in this day and age. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why can't they all just get along? Yeah, because <laughs> like, like... Well, here's why, buddy. Yeah, because it's like, even though, like, obviously the world isn't, hasn't, like, stopped sexism, but we're not, especially, like, the country that, like, we live in, like, a woman can be divorced and, like, own land or, like, <laughs> have a job. Yeah. You know, there, <laughs> there's stuff... Where it's not as, like, desperate of a situation if a woman is unmarried and has kids. Yeah. But, yeah, it did not used to be. And so, yeah, it is, like, it's easy to forget about, like, that kind of dynamic that exists and be like, man, why are women always fighting with women? (laughs) (laughs) Ladies be crazy. (laughs) And it's like, no. They're like it, it's a very scary, like desperate, stressful, like situation that they're in. But going back to like this story specifically, where you're saying like they weren't doing like a whole lot to persecute her. Yeah, until they gave her a magical hairdo that turned her into a dove. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> So I kind of alluded to this fact that I was going to talk about this interesting thing that happened in like the mid to late 20th century when it came to Cinderella stories and like turning them into stories in English. There was this kind of push in education of uh, multiculturalism, where they were like, we need to be presenting 
our students with like more stories from other cultures. And one of the ways that they thought to do this was to take this tale that had been known for a very long time to be kind of like all over the world because this like groundbreaking paper had been written in I think like the 1910s and then the 1950s. Another one was written just about how many Cinderella tales there are and how this tale type can be found like all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so people started to produce uh, stories that were labeled as like the Persian Cinderella story, the Native American Cinderella story, the like just every possible like like group or country or whatever that they could then put Cinderella story next to. Yeah. But a lot of these stories were not as recognizable to an audience as Cinderella stories because they were very, very different. So instead of like leaving those stories as very different, but highlighting maybe Mm. the things that do make them Cinderella tale types, what they did was they kind of forced the story (laughs) of Charles Perrault's version of Charles Perrault's version, like onto these stories. And Uh. so they, they added more details about, the persecution from mm-hmm. the sisters. If if people were cousins or actual blood sisters or um, siblings from polygamist marriage systems, they would just condense it down into stepsister because that uh-huh. was like what they right. felt like their audience would be the most familiar with. Yeah. And then they would like extrapolate on that, if the if there was kind of very little that was actually written in the story, they would add a lot more details to it to turn it into something that was like familiar to other people. And so there are a lot of stories that people can find that are like children's books that are uh like English language that are written in the English language that are claiming to be Cinderella types from around the world. But really what they are is Westernized versions of what they wish the story was. So it would be closer to something that would be recognizable. And that is a lot of like what you can find when you look for the anklet. Uh is there's more details about this magic jar of like, oh, there was a genie in it or there was a fairy in it. Like they specify Uh, what kind of magic was like inside this jar to kind of like explain that away. And they will make the sister, a stepsister, make her as poor as possible and as, you know, harassed by the sisters as much as they can like add into the story and even the detail that I was kind of curious if it was like in this version that you were retelling is like what happens to the jar. Cause in a lot of these like children's English versions, like of this story that I was reading, 
the girls discover that the jar is magic and then uh. they convince the whoever was inside of the jar to give them poisoned or magic pins to then uh. put into the sister and usually the jar gets like broken by the sisters like in the story too of like they destroy it so their sister can't have it back and then she's like turned into a bird and usually like the prince is the one that, you know, sees this little bird and then like finds the pins and pulls it out. And then it's magically his bride that he had missed so much. And there's a big Royal wedding. Um, And it's interesting because it's like this, this same kind of thing happens with like a lot of different stories, but then it gives people the mistaken impression that, you know, these stories that it's like, Oh, like this, African yeah. Cinderella it's so story. Same. It's so the same. But then when you go back to the source material that they use, you find out that not it's so not much. so. Sometimes it's like, uh, it was closer to being like the kind and the unkind girls tale where it's like comparing the behavior of the two in front right. of like a magic fairy or whatever. But what they've done is they've taken out that detail. Uh-huh. And put a lot of the persecution. The persecution. Like, yeah. I feel so silly for comments I made earlier in this episode now, but we'll just chalk that up to growth. I know better now. Which I've which grown. which comments? I've matured. Well, I was just I was talking about earlier, I was like, it's just so crazy how so many of these versions have like the same things just showing up all the time. It's like, oh well. Maybe it's because that's how the tales actually are. Or maybe it's because I only ever hear them in English and these people did all this stuff to change them. Which is also the interesting and complex thing about it. It's because, like, as someone who speaks English and not very many other languages, like, I'm rarely coming into contact with these tales not in English translations. And so something that you point out all the time, too, is, like, you have to kind of know. You have to look into the fact, like, okay, this was translated by this person, but... Translated in this sense means what, you know? Yeah. Because some people translated more or less from the original just to the language, and other people translated. I'm doing so many finger quotes when you hear that, like, you can hear the finger quotes in the way that I'm saying that word. Translated in the sense that they, like, rewrote it for what they thought would sell to an audience in their native language. Yeah, whether it meant... Darn you! Whether it meant like, oh, we need to like just add more flowery language to make the story longer, more eloquent sounding. We need to add more filling details to give them a richer picture of like what's happening. Yeah, it it's always interesting as I've been like going to look for tales because I do try to get to like the closest one that I can because it's like for this tale, this one is a translation of a French from the popular tales of the Nile Valley, but it's not the original French, you know, we're yeah. reading it's like, like a translation, translation of a translation of a rewriting translation or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's and several so, steps away. Yeah. And so it's like, there is always that disadvantage of whatever country that you are in of the majority of the stories you're going to be reading a translation because there's no possible way that you can know all of the languages in the world. 
Right. But if you know some languages, then it helps you, you know, to get more of the stuff. But yeah, it's just one of those like unfortunate things that is it's just like the human condition. You can't know all languages. (laughs) Yeah. It's also kind of a cool thing about the day and age that we're in now, because they were working in a very different cultural context back then, which is why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I feel like we are at least there's, there are sections of people and there might've been back then, but now there's the internet and ways for these people to get together and communicate. But like people like you or people like Folkwise, or I don't know, the people that they're associated with, the American Folklore Society that are studying these types of things and being able to go and be like, oh, this translation, like, we we can attest because of our connections that it's like pretty good. Like going back and comparing it to like whatever manuscripts or whatever that they might have, so we can kind of know. So at least you have a heads up of like, oh hey, like we've talked about all the time, like yeah. with what's his teeth, who's always adding these orphan tales to the thousand one. Antoine Galan. Yes, Antoine Galan. Antoine so Galan. we 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 know that anything that he's associated with, we got to be a little like, hey, we got to look into this because this guy's not always completely on the up and up. Like we know that now, yeah. So we can like be aware of that, and we can know again, like, oh, well, these are actually orphan tales; these are not. There is kind of that like that scholarship and study that's going into that. So it's kind of cool that we are able to go and take it back, and then again, we can go into it knowing these things rather than just being ignorant and assuming like, oh yeah, like obviously because I don't speak. Egyptian. I'm not going to go and check it myself, but I just take it on faith that this is an accurate translation. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy how it's so similar. But it's like, it's probably not actually. (laughs) But knowing that going in, you know. Yeah. And that's what it's, it's like one of those things where now when I'm looking at like children's books that there's, that they're saying like, oh, this story is being retold by the author. I kind of know, like, that's my heads up that, like, it's being retold by the author. So this is not the original version. So if I want it to be the Persian version of this story, then I need to figure out what they based their retelling off of. Yeah. But I can't repeat their story as if it is the version that was folklore in Persia. Right. And again, we could get into it, but we probably won't. The version is also like a nebulous term when you're talking about folklore too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like that further complicates the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, what I'm glad that we're kind of moving away from in when we're trying to make books that are diverse is that we are looking for like a diverse range of authors where we're like, oh, does this Vietnamese author want to write Vietnamese folk tales? That would be great. Because like, obviously you want to hear these stories like from around the world without needing to like change them. Like we can add culture to a classroom and know that like you can add cultural diversity into like a classroom library by adding like real cultural diversity into the classroom by having (laughs) authors that come from like different cultures to talk about their culture 
Because, I mean, who else would you want to talk about their culture? It's like the right. people. And, I mean, it's also like they could have trusted, too, that even if a story doesn't sound the same as, like, the Charles Perrault, like, the Disney, like, Cinderella, that kids no. will still be able to understand it, even if the storyline is different, or if the elements are less familiar to them. And I, I like that that is kind of the direction that children's literature is, like, moving. Nice. So, going back to tales that follow a little less what we expect from Cinderella tales. I want to talk a little bit about the tales that don't neatly fit into one category. There was one Cinderella type tale that we told from Nepal outside of, you know, the our Cinderella episodes. And we talked about how it's a tale of the kind and unkind girls. It's also a Cinderella tale, like, mixed in. And that's actually fairly common with a lot of the tales that have been labeled, at least partially, as ATU 510. There are some tales that get the label of ATU 510, and ATU 480, which is the kind and the unkind girls. Mm -hmm. So we've also retold some tales of the kind and unkind girls. And so the story that I am about to tell you, you will recognize some of the elements, even though this story is from Iran. Mm. This is the story of little Fatima. So, Fatima was a little girl who had a mother and a father, just like all of us at the beginning do. <laughs> That's where babies come from, Jeff. Except for the ones that are grown in labs and test tubes. I'm pretty sure that they still have to get the parts. They do. <laughs> I'm so You're right. And they also, like, are not just grown in a test tube. Yeah. Not yet, anyway. They go back into a person. <laughs> So Fatima had a teacher who she liked very, very much. And her teacher had a daughter who's also named Fatima, which is going to be very confusing later <laughs> on. But you know what? They went for it. And yeah, they would warn you about this in Screenwriting 101 these days. But Yeah, they were like, no, you can't give a character, two characters, the same name or even a similar name. But it's fine. They did it anyway. But this child's father was dead. And one day the teacher said to little Fatima, the first one, go back home and ask your mother to please give you a little bit of vinegar. And when she goes to get it for you, follow along with her. But whatever jar she goes to take the vinegar out of, you say, no, I don't want that one till you get to the seventh one. Why it's the seventh one, I'm not entirely sure. But the mother continues, when she stoops over to draw the vinegar out of the seventh jar, grab her by the feet and flip her into the jar and then fasten <laughs> down the top of it. Jeez. And then come back to me. <laughs> and 
whistling so as to not draw attention to yourself. Oh, gosh. And little Fatima, wanting to listen to what her teacher told her to do, went to her mother, asked for vinegar, and followed the directions implicitly. And thus, she became motherless. Oh, my god! That's an exact quote from it. I'm like, yikes. That's like quite the euphemism for murdered her own mom. What's crazy is that the mom disappeared. Like, you'll see. Um, They didn't find her. Right. Because they probably... No, it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. So, like, the dad didn't find out the mother, like... Like, the mother was just gone, seemingly. She had disappeared. Right, they didn't know that she was dead. And inside of this vat of vinegar. Yeah. With the lid on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it says some days passed and her- I, I know why it was the seventh one. Oh. Because when you're getting vinegar, you're going to start with the first one. So it's going to be a while until you drink your way or right. use your way through all the vinegar until you get to that seventh one. You're absolutely right. To finally find the body. You you figured it out. The pickled body. That's- that seems too far suddenly to say that out to loud. To say the pickled body. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was. It was too far. Right, How dare you? Sorry. Everyone's disgusted. <laughs> they all threw up in their mouths. I was just talking about a child murdering her mother, but you <laughs> took it too far, Jeff. <laughs> Turned her to a pickle. So after a couple days, the teacher told little Fatima, go and sprinkle some coriander seeds into your hair. And when your dad tonight comes in to, like, blow out the light, shake your head until, like, the seeds start, like, falling out and crackling into the fire, like, of her lamp. And so the daughter did just that. She put some coriander seeds, like, into her hair. And then when her dad came in to, like, blow out the lamp, she shook her head a little bit so that, you know, things seemed to, like, fly out of her hair and crackle and pop, like, in the fire. (laughs) And the dad was like, Child, what are those things? And little Fatima said, Dad, this is what happens when I have no mother to comb my hair and keep it clean. (laughs) These like horrible things have gotten into my hair. And this dad, you know, is like, ew. And I was like, that's hilarious. He like straight up thinks that like his daughter has like lice or something like flying out of her, like bugs in her hair. Uh Because like in my head, I'm like, okay, but the dad could just, you know, learn to take care of his own daughter. It was a different time. It's fine. Yeah. It's like a dude could comb his own daughter's hair. Yeah. Like that's, that's physically possible. Yeah. That's it. Like my husband has learned how to like make a ponytail and pigtails this year because there have been mornings when I have been like, nope, I just got to sleep. I need to stay asleep. And my daughter's like, but I want pigtails. And so my husband's had to like sort it out. It's fine. Um, He's a smart man. (laughs) He can do hard things like putting hair into a ponytail. Yes. So very difficult. So hard. Anyway, back to the story. Burning lice because she doesn't have a mother. She doesn't have a mother. And so her father was like, oh, what can I do? And the little girl answered the way that her teacher had told her to answer. And she said... To find a new mother for me, you should take a piece of liver and hang it over the door. And whoever happens to come along and whack their head on it first. (laughs) It's not going to want to marry you because that's disgusting. And why would someone do that? Why would I want to marry someone that hangs liver from their door? 
but that woman will be the right wife for you. <laughs> so oh, man. little Fatima did exactly, you know, she had just repeated what her teacher had like told her to do. And so her father uh-huh. got a liver, hung it up <laughs> over the door. I don't know. Why is he taking yeah, like, courting advice, this, advice like, from a child? Yeah. You know what women really love? When you hang organs, presumably of animals, I would definitely hope, from your door so that they whack their head into it. That's what they're that's into. What, that's what drives the ladies crazy these days. That's what I'm into. I'm facetiously saying that, but I really hope that at no point somebody it, like ever whacks me in the face with a liver <laughs> and is like, no, you said that you were into this. You said that on your podcast. Don't you remember saying that? Okay, so the dad hangs up this liver, right? Which is a normal thing. Which is a normal thing for someone to do. People would do or say. I mean, listen, there is a lot of like divination that happens related to like food items because there's stuff where it's like if you peel an apple and you throw the apple like over your head, what towards like the door, the next person who walks through the door with the initial that the peeling lands in. Is yeah. going to be your husband. Like, yeah. there's I mean, a lot that's of how like. I found my wife. No, I know, which is why I bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's stuff like that. I remember in uh, <laughs> this very historically accurate movie I, I watched called um, Stardust, where they fly in the sky and farm lightning, or uh, not farm, but anyway, gather lightning, that they like were ripping open like animals and like reading its entrails to like see the future which is you know yeah. like it's in that movie because it's kind of based it, on loosely stuff it is yeah happened. like yeah so it's just like this i mean this one seems a little odd but a lot of the divination like back then that was like reading animal bones reading like liver stuff like start chart like there's there's a right. there's a lot so yeah and like nowadays you'd have to go out of your way to get a liver like, it would be hard. Like, I don't even know where I could go to, like, get a liver. Like, I don't think, like, the store I normally go to would carry on. But, like, back then when you're, like, buying an animal and, like, or killing an animal yourself and bringing it home. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this type of stuff was more around. I about, I almost very creepily said, oh, I know exactly where I'd get a liver. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's sounds called. like super. No, I'm like, because. But, yeah, I mean. I don't eat liver because every time my mom would make it for me, I felt like I was going to throw up, but I thought it was nasty. Um, but I know that, you know, they like sell it at the grocery store for people who are nasty, like my mom who eat liver. If anybody who is listening to this eats liver, I apologize for calling you nasty. And if anyone listening to this does eat liver, I just want to say that you should never eat the liver of a carnivore because I don't know why, but for some reason you can overdose on vitamin A from eating a carnivore's liver. So, avoid, please. <laughs> Tell me about this woman getting smacked in the head as she purposefully runs head on into it. As soon as it was ready, the teacher got up, left her house, and went over to their house. Obviously because she knew that he was going to do it because she had told little Fatima to tell him to do that. So, like, she knew yeah. that he was going to do it. So, she, like, went over to the house, hit her head into the liver, and was like... <laughs> 
oh, what's this hitting my head? And the father was like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, my daughter told me that this was how I was going to find my next wife. And would you be willing to marry me so that she can have a mother and so that your daughter can have a father? And the teacher was like, oh, I'd never even considered it, but okay. So the teacher and the dad got married to each other. Now they had two little daughters named Fatima. So now they were married, living under one roof. And after 40 days, little Fatima found out that her mother had turned into a yellow cow and came out of the vinegar jar. Oh, my gosh. Weird magic. Plot twist. Plot twist. (laughs) So her father going outside, seeing this new cow not really knowing like where it had come from he gave the cow to his new wife and was like here as a present for you here is this like new cow which was his old wife but he didn't know it was his old wife it's uh-huh. fine so the new wife the teacher she did not want to have to take care of this cow and so what she did was she gave it to little fatima her stepdaughter to take care of and was like here You need to go out every day to help this cow graze for food. And also, um, you need to be spinning this big pile of cotton that we have. And if you come back home and this cotton is not done being spun, I'm going to beat you. So this little girl was sent out every day with hardly any food to go graze this cow, who was her mother. (laughs) graze this cow and to sit down and try to spin this cotton that her stepmother had given her and sometimes she was like feeling really really hungry and it doesn't say i don't know whether the cow told her this or she Mm. figured it out but if she like reached into the ear of this cow there was like some (laughs) some like like food it says specifically like what the food is it's not like it's like earwax or like any it's Uh, not it's it's not cow but i thought this was like super fascinating because i was remembering the possible nepali cinderella that we had been Mm. told about by uh one of our listeners um don chalecha yeah with the goat yes that like puked up food that the girl would eat yes but it was like yeah, it was like throwing up basically. It was like like beans, lentils, like stuff like that that the girl right. was eating. It wasn't throwing it wasn't like the girl was eating like goat vomit. Right. But still. Yeah. <laughs> Just like in this story, it's like, oh, it's not eating earwax, but it is eating food that came out of a cow's ear. Yeah. But somehow yeah. So it was like somehow she was like able to eat. But she was having problems like finishing spinning all of this cotton that her stepmother had given her and so every day when she went home she would get beaten by her stepmother and so this one day when the girl was sitting down in despair trying to get through this cotton the cow came over and ate up all of the cotton and then it like extended its tongue and the spindle of cotton was nicely spun (laughs) like already through magic. And so after that, that's always how Fatima was like able to get through all the spinning. All the spinning. 
Which I just would love to point out the fact that they're spinning textiles. Yep. As you do. Yep. That's what I was like really enjoying, like reading through all these like Cinderella tales going like right back to like the basics. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh man, I feel like we haven't talked about like some of this stuff in like a really long time. This is like really nice to like sit and talk about. So anyway, one day while she was sitting and spinning with the cow, a piece (laughs) of the cotton like got caught up in the wind and like flew away and Fatima knew that her mother, her stepmother would notice. And so she started to like run after it. And then she saw this like piece of cotton go down this well. So little Fatima was immediately frightened that she was going to get beaten, but there wasn't anything that she could do about it. And so, you know, she started crying and then the cow came over to her and it said to her, don't cry, go down into the well. There is a dev there and you must say to her, peace be unto you and salam to her nicely. And whatever she tells you to do, do the exact opposite and find your wisp of cotton and come back. So, okay. Let me tell you what a dev is, because we have oh. not encountered those yet. But we have encountered little girls going down and meeting magical women in the bottom of wells before. Yes, we have. Oh, my gosh. What is a dev? So a dev is like it's a humanoid type creature. Um, depending on the tale or legend, it can be kind of like closely related to kind of a lot of different things. It can be a little bit like a djinn. A little hmm. bit like a, like a witch, a demon, a, you know, like it it kind of is analog. Right. For, again, like one of these things that it's like it can be good or bad trickster or like, you know, friendly. It all a kind chaotic, of de- <laughs> yes. chaotic, neutral humanoid creature yeah it all just kind of with magical power exactly and so like in some traditions it is like more legend less spiritual in other places it's Mm. more spiritual related like a demon or whatever and so it kind of depends um but Yeah. yeah it's basically you could insert like fairy or witch or djinn or like into it yeah. and still have the same like the right feel for what creature yeah. like we're about to like encounter got it So the mother tells her, do exactly the opposite of what this dev tells you to do, because it's going to try to, like, trick you. So little Fatima did as she was told, and she went down into the well, and sitting at the bottom of the well was the dev. And so she politely bowed to this dev and said, peace be unto you. So the dev was like, oh, what a polite little child. I was planning on eating you in one mouthful when I saw you. (laughs) But you were very polite. Please come over here and break my head. Which little Fatima remembered what she was told to do the exact opposite. And so what she did was she started to wash and clean the dev's hair and comb it nicely. And the dev was like, oh. It's nice. Take these water jugs away and break them. So Fatima took the jugs away and she filled them with fresh water and then she brought them back. And the dev was like, okay, okay, come now and knock down my house. And little Fatima was like, okay. So she went and she took a broom and she started sweeping up all the floors till it was nice and clean. And then the dev asked her, what are you doing here? And little Fatima said, I lost a little wisp of cotton 
down the well and I need to retrieve it. And the dev said to her, oh, yes, I know exactly where it is. It's in my treasury and you'll find it lying on top of my jewels. Take your cotton and then grab as many of the precious stones as your heart desires. And Fatima went to the treasury. She found her cotton there, but she made sure not to touch any of the treasures or gems or jewels that she saw inside of the dev's treasury. Ah. So then she proceeded to climb up out of the well and the dev came to the bottom of the well and it called white wind come and shake her. And this wind came rushing down into the tunnel. And there are a lot of different like wind gods and basically like every different country. Mm-hmm. So like this like white wind and black wind that we're about to beat to that are going to like come down and kind of like whack around her is probably like a wind that is associated with like being a like a not even like a helper to the jinn but kind of like on the same side as like the jinn or devs or whatever it's like mm-hmm. just a, an entity that would listen so a wind rushed down into the well and blew all around fatima but she held on to her cotton and nothing fell out of her pockets or clothes because she didn't have anything in her pockets of clothes <laughs> So she kept climbing up and then the dev called down black wind come and shake her and the black wind sucked down and started to whip all around Fatima. But again, nothing came out of her clothes. And the dev realized that this girl truly had taken nothing from her treasury. And so she said, go away, safe little girl, and may God make a moon grow on your forehead and a star on your chin. And so it happened. So... You're about to find out it's like not metaphorical. She wanted this little girl basically like full of light, like emanating light, mm-hmm. equaling like goodness and holiness. Right. So when Fatima got out of this like tunnel, she knew that her like face was like glowing from this light that the dev had blessed her with. And so she like wrapped up her face in like a handkerchief so that like only her eyes like could be seen so that her stepmother wouldn't see or notice. So she finished getting the cotton ready, went back home with the cow. And when she got home, her stepmother was like busy cooking and preparing food. And so she asked her child to go into this dark cabinet to like go and retrieve something because she knew how scared she was every time she would go somewhere that was very dark. So the mm-hmm. the mother was just being mean by sending her to like go and fetch something for dinner that was like in this like dark and confined space. So it says the other Fatima, the other little girl, she knew that her stepsister was afraid of the dark. And so she followed after her. I don't know to be a jerk. Like, it's basically yeah. what it seems is that she was like, like I'm going to scare her in the dark. Yeah, like, what now? So she, you know, followed after her to see what she would do. And when this little girl looked in, she saw that the whole room was, like, lit up. And when she looked at her stepsister Fatima, she saw that there was light coming from her forehead and from her chin. And so she went and she told her mom. And the stepmother was like, what? How did this happen? Why is this happening? What's going on? What's going on? And so the girl told them what happened, except she said, whatever the dev told me to do, I did it exactly. 
Oh, very sneaky. Which I'm like, this is so fascinating to me because of how it diverges from a like a a kind and unkind girl yeah. story. Because she like lies. Yeah. She's not that's not the kindest thing to do. <laughs> so the stepmother decides that she's like, hmm. Maybe I should be a little bit kinder to my stepdaughter for a little bit. So she spends a couple days being really, really nice, her stepdaughter, and, you know, asking her more clarifying questions about how this good luck befell her. And then she made her a big wheat flour loaf, it says, with dates and butter and eggs in it. So this, like, just really, like, good amount of food. And she's like, oh... Fatima, will you take your little sister out into the desert and show her where this well is and maybe let her go down to meet this kind dove that you met? And little Fatima said, all right. So off they went to go and find this well. So when they got to the well, little Fatima, she threw in a wisp of cotton, just like she had done before. And then she says again to her sister, go down into the well and salam to the dev. And whatever she tells you to do, you must do it exactly. Then get your cotton and come back. So the stepsister did what she was told to do by Fatima. And she went down and there at the bottom of the well was the dev. So, you know, she bows to her and is polite. And the dev says, it is well that you bowed so politely. Otherwise, I would have eaten you in one mouthful. So then she says, come along and break my head. And the stepsister was like, okay, and picks up a large stone and starts like bashing the dev like over the <laughs> head with it. And the dev, of course, being like a magical creature, this didn't affect it too much. It hands her the water jugs and says, go and smash these water jugs. And the girl does exactly what she is told to do, smashes them to pieces. So next, the dev tells her, pull down my house. And immediately the girl takes a pick and starts just whacking and whacking, whacking at the walls of the house until it starts to crumble. And then the dev asks, what are you doing here? And the girl said, I came to fetch my lost cotton. And the dev was like, oh, I totally understand. It has gone into my treasury. You'll find that cotton lying on top of all those precious stones. So Take it and go ahead and take as many jewels and gems as you want. And the stepsister, she was like, okay, sure. So she goes into the treasury, finds her cotton, and then starts stuffing her pockets full of jewels and gems and treasures. But then as she is going up this ladder... The dev calls down white wind, come and shake her. And down comes the white wind and it starts like whipping all around her and the jewels start falling out of her pockets. Just all the jewels pouring out of her pockets. And then the dev calls out black wind, come and shake her. So it comes down, is whipping all around her and all the gold coins now are just like falling out of her pockets all down to the ground. And the dev says, go away, little girl. May God make a donkey's ears grow out of your forehead and a donkey's (laughs) tail sprout from your chin. (laughs) And so it happens. 
So when she got home, she like immediately ran to her mother, was crying, and the girl's like, what happened to you? What is this? And she got a pair of scissors. It's okay, Jeff. Nobody got hurt. Calm down. It's going to be okay. She cut mm-hmm. off the donkey's ears and the tail. Wow. It's fine. I said, Did that not hurt? I, for my own sake, need to believe that it didn't. <laughs> okay. Because if I think about that, it makes my skin crawl. So, and then she, it says she sprinkled salt on the places where they had grown. Oh, gosh. Probably what? You're like, oh, no, it doesn't hurt. For healing purposes, uh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, but ow. But then by the next morning, the ears and tail had sprouted back on her face. <laughs> so it Good says luck. that it happened that the king's daughter was going to be married, which this threw me off for a little bit. Yeah. The king's like, oh. daughter, the princess, she was getting married. Yes. To like a guy. So everybody got invited to the wedding. So the stepmother came to little Fatima and he, she gave her beans and lentils and mixed them all together and said, you must separate these out before I'll let you come. And then she gave her this big empty jar and she said, and you must cry and cry until you've filled this jar with your tears. Then you can come to the royal wedding. And she took her donkey faced daughter <laughs> to the royal wedding so little fatima she sat down and she was crying and disappointed and in despair and the cow came over and shook its head and from its horns fell two birds there are two chickens one's a cock and one is a hen Mm -hmm. um and they each started to separate out the beans and lentils I guess because cocks like beans and hens like lentils. It's fascinating, though, because of a connection to another yeah. Cinderella tale. Yeah, of like birds helping to like... Like sort out the beans sort from the... Sort out the beans, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, whether it was like... It depends on the country, whether it's like rice or millet or like yeah. lentils. Yeah. So anyway... The cow shook its head again and salt water poured from one of its horns and filled up the empty jar with salt water. So now, you know, she didn't have to cry all those tears into that bucket. So then the cow shook its head again and from one horn fell a beautiful silk dress. It says out fell a set of beautiful silk clothes. It doesn't say dress. That was me forcing my own narrative onto the story. (laughs) Fine silk clothes. Then the cow spoke to her daughter and said, put on these beautiful clothes and go to the wedding party. And little Fatima gladly did so. So when she got to the palace, she looked so beautiful and stunning. Everybody thought that she must be one of the great ladies of the land. And Mm. so, you know, they stood up as she passed and showed her to one of the best seats because they're like, obviously this lady deserves one of the best seats because she's, So clearly wealthy. And she, you know, ends up walking past her stepmother and stepsister who, you know, were out, it says, with the servants in the outer hall. So little stepsister Fatima said to her mother, look, I believe that that is Fatima, which again, can't have two daughters named Fatima. (laughs) Anyway, so the mother said, nonsense child, she's at home crying. (laughs) That can't be her. So when the big wedding was over, little Fatima got up quickly before anybody else and hurried home. But as she was leaving, the king's son 
saw her and immediately fell in love with her beauty. And he started to follow her at his mm. sister's wedding. I say that's the best place to meet your future spouse is at another person's wedding. <laughs> You're about to at another spouse's <laughs> wedding. At another, uh, when you go to one spouse's wedding, that's a great way to meet an, a, another spouse. <laughs> When you're when you get when you're when you get divorced, the best place to meet your next spouse is at your ex spouse's wedding. Is what the, they always say. So the king's son follows her out, and as she is crossing at the edge of a stream, she runs to jump over the stream, and one of her slippers falls into the water. And the king's son quickly tells one of his servants to pick up that slipper. I'm like, wow, bro. <laughs> He's like, hey, get that, man. He's like, I'm not bending down. It looks wet over there. So when the shoe was brought to him, it was a lovely little slipper, most beautifully cut. He gave it to his attendant and he said, I want you to take this to every house in the kingdom until you find the owner of it. So the servants went around the countryside until finally they came to little Fatima's house. And the stepmother quickly shoved Fatima the stepdaughter into uh, the upright oven. Oh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't on like it, okay. like there was no fire in it. It was just a big empty spot. And then she's going to have another crossover. Yeah. with Another fairy tale. <laughs> so she put a sack of millet over the front of it. And it says five man, M A N N weight on top of that. So one man equals 40 kilograms. So five times 40, somebody else can do that math for me. I won't. Is it 200? I think it's 200 kilograms. Five times 40. Because, yeah, it's five times times 40 is 200. Well done. Yeah, mental math. So they put that weight on top of that. And when the prince's men get to the house, they ask for the like any daughters there to come forward and the teacher, the new wife, stepmom, her daughter comes out. She tries to slipper on and it doesn't fit. And it says, now there was a cock in the house and we know because he had helped do the lentil, the lentil bean split up thing. But anyway, yeah. so he came over to the oven and started to crow loudly. And the stepmother tried to hit him and say like, shoo, Get off. Get away from there. And the messenger was like, lady, leave that rooster alone. Let us see what he has to say, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> let it. Let the rooster speak. Let the rooster speak. And they listened carefully. And this is what he said. I'll read it like verbatim. Cock-a-doodle-doodle-doodle-doo. <laughs> Classic. Cock-a-doodle-doo-doodle-doo. You seek the owner of that fine shoe, you do. The oven is covered up by fear, and that's the reason you can't see her. But little Fatima's very near, under me in the oven here. She is the owner of that fine shoe. Cock-a-doodle-doodle-doodle. Cock-a-doodle-doo. And they went to the oven, and they lifted the girl out of it and tried the slipper on her foot, and they found that it fit exactly, and so they carried her off to be the king's son's bride. And it says, her stepmother and stepsister died of annoyance. (laughs) I want to do something that people are so jealous of that they die of annoyance. Yeah. 
So that is the end of that tale. So I thought this was a super fascinating one to look at because of some of the, I mean, some of the crossovers that we've seen in the past. I was like, oh man, we haven't had like a tale like this where we've been like, we did an episode on this and this and this. Yeah, this one, there's so many. So, and then also that they're like different. Yeah. And it's not just like, oh, because we've done 12 Cinderella tale episodes, which we haven't. We've only done three. This is the fourth. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover, even though we haven't done a lot of Cinderella episodes. This one just has a lot of, like, crossover. Yeah, besides just the Cinderella episodes. Like, there's the whole, like, going down into the well. Yeah, which is in Mother Holly. Yeah. Or Frau like, and, Holly episode, yeah. And it is, and it is like, the kind and unkind girl kind of a tale where one goes down and is, like, nice and obedient to Mother Holly. And the other one goes down and is not, and one gets a shower of golden coins that stick to her and she gets rich when she goes out and the other doesn't get the shower of gold and is punished instead like yeah. tarred and feathered or something crazy like yeah that. so and then in another episode where we did i think it was like russian winter tales uh-huh you also had jack frost who re- oh yeah rewarded the sister who was kind or it wasn't even and, the like, sister patient. who was kind it, yeah it was she wouldn't admit that she was cold that that right. she was like willing to suffer in silence and that got her uh-huh. rewarded. Right. <laughs> Which in the, in that episode, we talked about how like the kind and unkind sister tales are usually told to talk about what behavior we, the culture wants to see from women. Right. Which is why this one is so interesting. Yes, because it's like, do the opposite of what this person tells you to do. Yeah. Be disobedient. Yeah. But be disobedient by doing good things because they're going to tell you not to do good things. Yeah, like this one, there was this like very, yeah, convoluted, complicated process because it was like, okay, so you have this entity that is like a trickster, That is telling you one thing, but you have to like know not to believe it. You have to know not to follow it. I'm assuming because that it's like something that is kind of related with like evil or, you know, like the Mm -hmm. opposite of what they want spiritually. And so they're like, don't listen to it. It's going to try to convince you to do something bad. Yeah. But you shouldn't listen to it tell you to do something bad. You should still do the good thing, even if it's encouraging you to do bad. And so right. it is like telling them to be disobedient, but be disobedient to a spirit that is possibly trying I to lead you astray. Trying to lead you astray. I think that's a great way of like saying that. But then what's interesting about that is that our heroine lies. Mm-hmm. She's obviously not our first heroine that we've seen be tricked into murdering somebody or or convinced that murdering somebody is like the right way to go because in this story it's unclear like that the daughter understood what she was doing when she like killed her mother yeah but she did know that she was lying when she said like oh i followed the dev exactly and got that and so like that's very very interesting to me Because, you know, normally we have a heroine who is always making what we would think of as like the morally correct choice, even if it seems like it's not in her favor. She does right, even though it it looks like it's going to be at the expense of herself. But in this one, she is so tricky because she's like, 
oh yeah, I went into that tunnel and or into that well and did exactly what it told me to do. Yeah, like kind of knowing that that would be not good for the other Fatima. Yeah, like knowing that like that would hurt her because normally like in the unkind kind sister story or the kind unkind sister story, the the punishment comes because the unkind sister purposefully does what she's not supposed to do. Right. Where it's like where the kind sister says, like, all I did was when I when I met this fairy out in the woods and she asked me to do her a favor, I agreed and I did it. You know, something of that, like, nature. And then the unkind sister goes out, meets the fairy. The fairy asks her to do something. And she's like... like, she's just a brat. Yeah, and she's like a brat. And so her own brattiness is what gets her punished. As opposed to this story where this girl is punished because she listened to her sister. Because she, like, believed the instructions of her sister. Yeah. It's like, who knows what would have happened. Like, if she'd been told to do the right thing... Because it's also interesting, too, because in the other ones, it's kind of like the kind sister doesn't give away that it's like a test necessarily. Yeah. The kind sister just says what happens and she doesn't realize herself that it was like a test of the kind of person she was. Or in the one with the Jack Frost, Morosko, I think is the Russian name for it. Maybe. Yeah. yeah Why do I, I like- remember that? <laughs> what? Maybe I don't. I don't know. Uh, but it's kind of like she's like, oh, I went out in the woods and this guy came up to me and he was this scary man and next thing i know like he's sending me home with all this stuff like she didn't really know what was going on and just the other sister goes into the situation and because of the nature of that individual does not react in the same way yeah so she's then punished because of like her own character basically but in this one it's like we don't know if that other sister if she'd been told like go in and do the opposite of what this person tells you just like she had been told yeah if that if she would have done it cuz even if she was kind of like a not great person like she would have known that that's the way to get what she wanted from yeah the dev so it's kind of like even not having good character she could have gotten the rewards theoretically yeah unless there was something like the dev could tell that the intent was not there, but it's like the intent might not have been there with the other sister either. So it's like much more complex. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Me either. Like, it's just interesting because like you do encounter characters that do things that you don't necessarily agree with them getting rewarded for, because it was kind of the same in the first Cinderella episode that we did when Zazola and Jean-Baptiste Basile's, uh, like, Cinderella cat, when she yeah. killed her governess, immediately, almost, this, like, fairy randomly came and was like, hey, we want to give you a gift. Anytime you want a gift, yeah. just, like, give us the word and we'll, you know, send you a gift. And it's like, you know... We're looking at that story going, wait, why is this woman getting rewarded for helping her second stepmom get her dad by murdering her, like, first stepmom? Very confusing. 
And so like, it is interesting when you encounter like a character who you're seeing them do something that does not meet the moral standards that like you are used to, you know, like committing murder. And then they still get rewarded for it. And in this story, I feel like that same kind of thing happens where she purposefully lies to her sister and then her sister gets punished and she ends up marrying a prince. <laughs> yeah. And it, it it's just like like this interesting like, huh. Because in some way, the story when it's being told must for people be like, yeah, you know what? That girl still deserved it. Yeah. Do sometimes you have to trick your enemies into poning themselves? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that is relatable. It's just not a moral that I'm used to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I'm not necessarily anti-tricking somebody who's been cruel into doing something that gets them pwned. Uh-huh. It's just interesting to hear in a story and like, like in, in this like, kind of like context. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe it's just like very forward thinking of them. <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> so in conclusion and in summary. <laughs> so I've heard people say that if you aren't embarrassed by your first product, then you haven't grown. Mm. And like preparing for this episode, I went back to our very first episode, not including the introduction episode, and I re-listened to it. And I'm so happy. I'm not embarrassed by our first episode, which probably means that we haven't grown at all. <laughs> I really enjoy, I like, I think probably what I liked about it was just like the nostalgia of like remembering us like two years ago. Yeah. Also the energy with which we were telling some of those stories. Cause uh -huh. it was like, it was delightful for me to like, hear me tell you about a surprise murder and hear like that <laughs> that first surprise reaction of you, like that was just like soul soul affirming to hear yeah. to hear how upset you got that first time I told you about an unsuspected like murder. But I'm so happy that we had decided that our first episode was going to be Cinderella, because mm -hmm. I just remember thinking at the time that we were making that episode that like there's so much to talk about when it comes to like this story. And like how it's all over the world. And I don't know if I'll have enough time to say everything that I want to say in like one episode. And like, of course, we definitely didn't. Yeah. Because I mean, people have written like massive books. And we've done four or five <laughs> episodes about it now. And we're still not done. I mean, like, not only does this story give us the opportunity like every year to kind of revisit that like first type of tale. And look at it from different, like, country points of view. But it also always is, like, such an interesting discussion to talk about just the different facets of the story. Whether it's, you know, that we can't talk about stories, we can't talk about folk tales as original versions. Mm-hmm. And talking about, like, how did this cycle get here? What was the first one? Why do we find this cycle, like, all over the world? And, like, now today talking about, you know, how some stories have been changed to better fit an English-speaking audience. And also looking at stories that 
are mixes of different things that now we've like after two years have like encountered several examples of mm-hmm. i'm just really glad that we get to keep revisiting the cinderella tale or atu 510 <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar Nope. Cut all that part out. I'm just usually family member, like usually male family member. You got this. Jeff, you know how to, you know how to edit stuff, right? I, I don't. I just make it up as I go along. (laughs) Oh, gosh. We are hopeless.